0: This is not good. What do you think Jacob does then? Yeah, he's nervous, but what do you think he's going to do when he hears this news? Let's keep going. Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people with him into two camps, along with the flocks and herds and camels. He thought, if Esau comes to one camp and attacks it, the remaining one can escape. And then Jacob said, God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, "'Go back to your land and to your family, and I will cause you to prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness that you have shown your servant. Indeed, I crossed over the Jordan with my staff, and now I have become two camps. Please rescue me from my brother Esau, for I am afraid of him. Otherwise, he may come and attack me, the mothers and their children.'" You have said, I will cause you to prosper, and I will make your offspring like the sand of the sea, too numerous to be counted. When he hears that Esau was on his way with 400 men, Jacob panics and immediately begins to try to figure out how to minimize the losses that his brother might inflict on him and his family. And so he divides everything that he has into two camps so that if Esau comes and attacks, that word attacks literally means to kill, okay? Okay. In Jacob's mind, Esau is still coming to kill me. He's still coming to kill my family. If Esau comes and attacks and kills one camp, the other camp can survive, and Jacob doesn't diminish altogether. But then Jacob does something that we haven't seen him do yet. You know what that is? He prays. He prays. And although Jacob hasn't claimed the God of his father and grandfather as his own just yet, it seems here that he's warming up to the idea The last time Jacob talked to to God was after God made those promises to him at Bethel, and Jacob vowed that God would be his God if God kept his promises. And here in this prayer, Jacob is appealing to those promises. Listen, if you don't know what to pray, open God's word. Find his promises. That's a safe bet. Appeal to God for what he's promised to his people. And in another rare display of humility in verse 10, Jacob recognizes that God has indeed been keeping his promises and has shown kindness and faithfulness to Jacob, even though Jacob has been less deserving of it. When have you heard Jacob say, I am unworthy? This is grace. This is grace at work. Jacob says, I left for Haran. I left for Paddan Aram with nothing because, and because of you, I have so much abundance now that I am able to split my camp into two. And then Jacob has a moment of incredible honesty in verse 11. He admits that he's terrified of his brother and that he can't rescue himself. This is the kind of honesty that we all need. And so he asked God to rescue him and, he, and keep the rest of his promises that he made to Jacob. Essentially, Jacob says, listen, Esau wants to kill me and my family, but you have promised to make my family too numerous to be counted. Please keep that promise and save me from death at my brother's hand. Let's keep going. Verse 13, he spent the night there and he took part of what he had brought with him as a gift for his brother Esau. 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 milk camels with their young. Anybody have milk camels? 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, and 10 male donkeys. He entrusted them to his slaves as separate herds and said to them, go on ahead of me and leave some distance between the herds. And he told the first one, when my brother Esau meets you and asks, who do you belong to? Where are you going, and whose animals are these ahead of you? Then tell him, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a gift sent to my lord Esau, and look, he is behind us. Jacob also told the second one and the third, and everyone who was walking behind the animals, say the same thing to Esau when you find him. You are also to say, look, your servant Jacob is right behind us. For he thought, I want to appease Esau with the gift that is going ahead of me. After that, I can face him. And perhaps he will forgive me. And so the gift was sent on ahead of him while he remained in the camp that night. Notice that there's no response from God to Jacob's prayer, at least not verbal. And so after Jacob panics and prays, what does he do? He plans. He schemes again. He's going to give Esau a gift, but this isn't, just, this isn't just like a random present. This is a tribute that shows Jacob's loyalty and submission to his older brother. Now, this is a lavish and expensive gift. It's 550 animals in total. That's a far cry. That's a lot better present than a bowl of stew, is it not? But Jacob doesn't want to deliver them all at once to his brother. Instead, he wants to to drag things out. He wants to draw this out and parade them over and over and over to Esau. Keep it as long as possible in order to try and calm Esau down, to, to pacify him. And so that by the time Jacob actually comes and sees him, then Esau won't be mad at him anymore. This is his plan. And so he divides up the herds and he spreads them out into this long caravan and he sends them on their way while he waits at the camp with his family, and then something strange happens. Look at verse 22. During the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two slave women, and his 11 sons and crossed the the ford of Jabbok. He He took them and sent them across the stream along with all his possessions. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not defeat him, he struck Jacob's hip socket as they wrestled and dislocated his hip. And then he said to Jacob, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. Jacob, he replied. Your name will no longer be Jacob, he said. It will be Israel because you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he answered, why do you ask my name? and he blessed him there. Jacob then named the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, he said, yet my life has been spared. The sun shone on him as he passed by Penuel, which is just a variation of Peniel, limping because of his hip. That is why still today the Israelites don't eat the thigh muscle that is at the hip socket because he struck Jacob's hip socket at the thigh muscle. It's a good reminder there that uh, this... Uh, this story is being told to a particular people, right? The Israelites, the, the people, that, the descendants of Jacob. This is to show them their history, and it's a good reminder of them, for them, even as they don't eat that, uh, s- that muscle, that their dependence is not in their, themselves and their own strength, but in the Lord. Jacob's anxiety Robs him of sleep, and so in the middle, like, listen, if you knew 400 men, your brother was coming with 400 men, would you be able to sleep? And so, what do you do? Like, he, again, he's pacing back and forth. He's he's trying to figure things out, and so he's 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 thinking, well, okay, I can at least get my family across the river and then, you know, maybe, maybe uh, I can talk to Esau and, and, and help smooth things out. And so in the middle of the night, he sends his entire family across the Jabbok River with all his possessions, and guess what? Once again, he's all alone. It's just him and his staff, just like he was when he left the land of Canaan. And then without any warning or transition in the story, just like as if we should know it's coming, there's, we're told that this man wrestles with him until daybreak. And this man's identity is a mystery and remains so until, as this part of the story unfolds until we get to learn, along with Jacob, that this is no ordinary man. Jacob has been wrestling with God himself. Now, the author isn't telling this story to make his readers think that God is weak and Jacob is strong. We just read that in 2 Corinthians when we prayed together, right? God's power is made perfect in our weaknesses, it may seem like they're evenly matched here, but this isn't a, 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 a physical strength test in that sense. It's not as though the, the mystery man thought that he could win and then realized that he couldn't. After all, what did he do? He dislocated Jacob's hip with just a touch, right? And we know what God is capable of. If you've been paying attention throughout Genesis, you know this. Remember the flood? How about the Tower of Babel? How about uh, Sodom and Gomorrah? This is not an evenly matched uh, wrestling match here. What the author is pointing out here is not that God is weak and Jacob is strong, but listen, that God is gracious even when Jacob is stubborn. God is gracious even though Jacob is stubborn. Listen, Jacob's whole life has been a wrestling match, hasn't it? He came out of the womb grasping Esau's heel. That's how he got his name. means he grasps the heel, right? And he's been in constant struggle with everyone around him ever since. We've seen this in his relationship with Esau. We've seen it in his relationship with Isaac, in his relationship with Laban, and in his relationship with God. And what is it that Jacob has been struggling to get this whole time? Blessing. And he wants it so badly that even after the man Dislocates Jacob's hip, Jacob will not let go until he gets a blessing from God. Now, this is one of the most pivotal moments of Jacob's life. This is where the deceiver, the one who grasps the heel, gets a new name. The man says, Your name will no longer be Jacob, it will be Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Israel. Is comes from the Hebrew word for man. Ra comes from the Hebrew word for struggle, and El comes from the Hebrew word for God. You have struggled with man and with God. But Jacob doesn't prevail by his own strength. He had once single-handedly rolled a massive stone away from his uncle's well. You remember that? All the shepherds were gathering there waiting for all of them to get together because it took all of them to do it, and as soon as he saw Rachel... The dude chucked that thing like it was a Frisbee, right? But now he's been reduced to this limp. His physical strength is gone. He doesn't prevail by his own strength. He doesn't prevail by depending on himself. He prevails by his dependence on the Lord, by literally clinging to God, to the angel of God for blessing, When Jacob realizes who it is that he's been wrestling all night, he names this place Peniel, which means the face of God. Back in verse 11, Jacob prayed that God would rescue him from his brother Esau, remember? He's like, Lord, I'm afraid of my brother. Can you please save me? Can you rescue me from him? Here, Jacob realizes that he's been rescued from God. Jacob sent gifts ahead of him to appease his brother, literally in the Hebrew, to cover his face it's an expression that you, that's used to describe the covering of one's guilt. Here, Jacob recognizes both his own guilt before the face of God and God's grace to let him live. God has covered Jacob's guilt. Is that not grace? And now that Jacob has had his humbling encounter with God, it's time for him to humbly face his brother. Look at chapter 33, verse 1. Now Jacob looked up and saw Esau coming toward him with 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two slave women. He put the slaves and their children first, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph last. He himself went on ahead and bowed to the ground seven times until he approached his brother. This is the big moment, right? This is is where Jacob is about to find out whether Esau is coming for revenge or for reconciliation. There's no time left. All the animals, all the, all the gifts that he sent ahead of him, they've all con- gone through. Esau is here, and now Jacob needs to face him. But just in case, just in case it's revenge, Jacob organizes his family in order of least importance to greatest importance to him. Did you catch that? Still playing favorites, right? Listen, God has rescued us by his grace, but we are not finished. He is not finished with us. It will take the rest of our lives to get where he wants us to be. And he has provided everything that we need to get there. So even as we look at this and we see, man, Jacob still needs help, I hope that we're recognizing that so do we. So he puts the slave women in front and their sons, and then Leah and her sons in the middle. All is this buffer to try and protect Rachel and her son, Joseph. Now, out of the 11 sons, remember? 11 sons, one daughter, Dinah. That's where we're at right now. Out of the 11 sons, Joseph is the only one mentioned here by name, both to show Jacob's affection for him. He's the one that Rachel gave to him. And also to foreshadow the transition to Joseph as the central character in the upcoming chapters. The rest of Genesis, once we get through Jacob, is going to be focused on Joseph. Okay? And although he's still playing favorites with his wives and children, in yet another uncharacteristic act of humility, Jacob goes in front of his family. You know what? He doesn't put them all in front of him and he waits for them to go through. He circles around and goes ahead of them. We have not seen this behavior from Jacob before, this self-giving, self-sacrificial behavior He's risking his own life in order to potentially save theirs. Back in chapter 27, when Isaac blessed Jacob with Esau's blessing, Isaac said that others would bow down to Jacob and he would be master over his relatives. Now, Isaac thought he was giving that blessing to Esau, but that blessing went to Jacob. Esau should be bowing down to Jacob here. This is what that's saying. Who's bowing down to whom? Jacob approaches. Seven times he bows down to his brother like a servant to his master. And now, he finally gets there, and it's time to see Esau's intentions. Look at verse four. But Esau ran to meet him, and he beat him to a bloody pulp. (laughs) That's not what it says, right? Esau ran to meet him. He hugged him. He threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. And then they wept. God has answered Jacob's prayer and rescued him from his brother Esau. Lord, I'm afraid of him. I'm afraid of him. I'm terrified. He's going to kill me. Will you please save me? God said, yeah, I will. Once again, what, what we've seen characteristically from these men, we're seeing here, Jacob is calculated and deliberate. He divides up his family, right? He's got a plan. Esau is impulsive and emotional, but this time, listen, th- their characteristic behavior doesn't result in deception and a death threat. This time it results in tearful reconciliation. They both broke down and they wept. What a beautiful scene. Let's keep going. Verse 5. When Esau looked up and saw the women and children, he asked, Who are these with you? He answered, Jacob answered, The children God has graciously given to your servant. And then the slaves and their children approached him and bowed down. Leah and her children also approached and bowed down. And then Joseph and Rachel approached and bowed down. And so Esau said, what do you mean by this whole procession I met? To find favor with you, my lord, he answered. I have enough, my brother, Esau replied. Keep what you have. But Jacob said, no, please, if I have found favor with you, take this gift from me. For indeed, I have seen your face, and it is like seeing God's face. Since you have accepted me, please take my present that was brought to you because God has been gracious to me and I have everything I need. so Jacob urged him until he accepted. This whole conversation is just rich with God's grace. Two times in here, Jacob uncharacteristically until now points to God's provision instead of his own efforts. And he and Esau, they're more concerned with each other than they are with themselves. Esau has long forgotten about this, right? He just wants to see his brother. The irony in all this is that all of Jacob's efforts to appease Esau are unnecessary. They're unnecessary. Esau isn't coming to take uh, back from Jacob what he thought belonged to him. What does Esau say? I've been richly provided for already. Keep what you have. I have everything I need. Think about that. The days of mourning for my father are almost over. And when that happens, I will kill my brother. Now they're embracing and he says, I don't need it. You keep it. I have what I need. Is that not grace? I think Jacob sees that it is. He says, indeed, I've seen your face, and it's like seeing God's face since you have accepted me. This isn't flowery language. He's not flattering and buttering him up here. What he's saying is he's recognizing that in the same way that God spared him when he didn't deserve it, he just wrestled with the angel of the Lord, and God didn't kill him. I've seen God's uh, face, and, and he has spared my life, right? He said that. In the same way that God spared him when he didn't deserve it, so too now Esau has spared him even though he didn't deserve it. See, Jacob feared death, but he found favor. But he still wants Esau to take the present because Jacob also recognizes that that God is his gracious provider and supplied him with everything he needs. If you go back to chapter 28 and you read the promises of God, God says, I'm going to make you prosper. I'm going to give you all that you need. And he's done that. The Hebrew word for present in verse 11 gives the sense of a gift that comes with a blessing. I love that. Jacob had stolen Esau's blessing, and now he's offering him one. Now, we know that we we can't make good works outdo our bad works, right? But listen, reconciliation, when it's done in grace and mercy We can seek to give restitution for the things that we've done freely, joyfully. And so Jacob, who stole Esau's blessing, is now offering him one, and he won't take no for an answer. He urges Esau until Esau finally accepts the gift. Look at verse 12. Then Esau said, let's move on, and I'll go ahead of you. Jacob replied, my Lord knows that the children are weak, and I have nursing flocks and herds. If they are driven hard for one day, the whole herd will die. Let my Lord go ahead of his servant. I will continue on slowly at a pace suited to the livestock and the children until I come to my Lord at Seir. Esau said, Let me leave some of my people with you. But he replied, Why do that? Please indulge me, my Lord. That day Esau started on his way back to Seir, but Jacob went to Sukkoth. He built a house for himself and shelters for his livestock. That is why the place was called Sukkoth. Now, at first... It might seem like, all right, they, they had this beautiful reunion, right? And now Jacob is immediately back to his old games of deceit, right? Hey, I'll come with you to seer, but just you go on ahead and I'll meet you there, right? But their conversation, we need to remember the context here and the culture and the things that were going on. Their conversation is similar to the one that Abraham had with the Hethites back in chapter 23 when they bartered to, to, for him to buy the field and the cave, to, as the burial ground from them. So they offered Abraham the cave in the field for free, but they really wanted him to pay for it, right? And he offered to pay the full price, but they were going back and forth. This customary uh, way of showing respect, offering more than, than you intend. I know it's weird for us, right? But it, like we talked about this before, like the paycheck or the, the check at dinner, right? No, I got it. No, you got it. Or you're, you know, hoping they take it or whatever. It was this way of bartering while while still showing respect for one another, and so in the same way, it's likely that Jacob doesn't actually intend to go down to Seir, and Esau knows that, and it's likely that Esau doesn't actually intend to leave his men with Jacob, but Jacob knows that. It's simply a customary way of them to part ways respectfully and say, it's good to see you. Seir was in the territory of Edom. It was about 100 miles south of where they were at. When when God told Jacob to leave his uncle Laban and the region of Paddan Haran, where, where Laban was, God said to Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers and to your family and I will be with you. Now the land of Jacob's fathers is not Seir or Edom. Jacob is not going that way. He can't because God told him to go to Canaan, to the land of promise. And so after Jacob and Esau part ways, Jacob and his caravan travel four miles west to, and stop at Sukkoth. Jacob doesn't have the strength that he used to have. He's got uh, children that are weak. He's got young and nursing livestock. He's walking with a limp now, right? He's not strong. He made a 550-mile journey by himself with his staff. Now he's got a whole caravan of people and a bum leg. He's not going very far. And so he stops there to rest and recoup with his family and, he, and his flocks before they enter the promised land. They're just outside of it. text doesn't say how long he stayed there, but it was long enough to build some shelters for himself and his livestock, and that's how the place got its name. Sukkoth means uh, shelters. It means huts. Okay? Let's look at verse 18 through 20, these last few verses here. After Jacob came from Paddan Aram, he arrived safely at Shechem in the land of Canaan, And camped in front of the city. He purchased a section of the field where he had pitched his tent from the sons of Hamer, Shechem's father, for a hundred pieces of silver, and he set up an altar there and called it God, the God of Israel. Verse 18, the author notes not simply that Jacob arrived in Shechem in the land of Canaan, but that he arrives there, what? Safely. Right? Why make that distinction? Remember Jacob's response back in chapter 28 after God appeared to him and made all these promises to him? Genesis 28, 20 and 21. Then Jacob made a vow. If God will be with me and watch over me during this journey I'm making, if he provides me with food to eat and clothing to wear, and if I return safely to my father's family, the Lord will be my God. The Lord will be my God. God kept his promises right? Jacob and his family arrived safely in Shechem, in the land of Canaan. Now it's time for Jacob to keep his vow. Shechem was the first place that Abraham came to when God led him to the land of Canaan. When God brought Abraham from Haran back in chapter 12, called him, and he brought him into the land of Canaan, the first stop was Shechem. And it was there that God had first promised to give the land to Abraham's descendants. So look around. I'm gonna give this to your offspring. And now at the end of this story, one of Abraham's descendants is buying a piece of that land. Is that not grace? This is now the second piece of the promised land that Abraham's family owns. Abraham has a a piece uh, in um, Hebron for the burial ground. And now Jacob has this piece here. In Shechem. You remember what Abraham did in Shechem after God made a promise to him? Made that promise to him? He built an altar there and he worshiped the Lord. And now his grandson is doing the exact same thing in the exact same place. And notice what Jacob names the altar. This is like the, the, the most major point of this whole thing right here. He calls it God the God of Israel. Of Israel. For the first time, Jacob refers to God not as the God of his grandfather Abraham, not as the God of his father Isaac, but as his own God. Jacob has no more ifs, no more thens after seeing God's faithfulness to him. For two decades, Jacob finally says, the Lord is my God. Not he will be, he is my God. But man, it took Jacob a long time to get there, didn't it? He spent his whole life up to this point grappling for the approval of others while failing to see the blessing that God had already given him. Remember that God promised these things at the beginning of his journey, and then he spent 20 years wrestling with everybody else. His dependence has been on himself And his confidence has been in his own strength and ability to manipulate others to get what he wants. And so his life has not been full of peace. It's been full of fear and anxiety, full of constant struggle, right? And his new name is fitting for the nation that would come from him throughout their history. The ones that are are being told this story. Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He's telling this story to the children of Israel as they're about to enter the promised land. How fitting is it for them to see God's faithfulness to their father, Jacob? Yet throughout their history, the Israelites grappled for the approval of the surrounding nations while they failed to see the blessing that God had already given to them. They relied on themselves and, and these so-called, or the so-called strength and abilities of idols and false gods. And so their history as a nation was characterized by struggle and fear and anxiety, just like their namesake. But we know this struggle too, don't we? The struggle for acceptance and blessing. And we've all relied on ourselves in one way or another to try to gain these things. But let's not fail to see how the grace that God showed to Jacob leads us to the grace that God has shown to us. You see, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be born into the family of Israel, into the family of struggle. And Christ's life too was full of struggle. But it wasn't because he tried to gain blessing and approval of others, it was because he was bringing the blessing and approval of God to people who relied on themselves and their own strength. And in order to do that, it would cost him his life. And the joy and the peace that we have as believers is knowing that Christ's death on the cross has satisfied God's righteous wrath against us because of our sin against him, We are unworthy. We can say these words of Jacob. We are unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness that he has shown to us, but we can freely rejoice that God has spared our lives. We who have feared death have found favor with God through Christ because of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. We can say along with Jacob, God has been gracious to me, and I have everything that I need, everything that I need. And that means that if we've wronged someone else, that we can and we should seek reconciliation without fearing revenge. God's already reconciled us to himself. What more could we want? What more could we need? We've been accepted by him. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. And so we don't need to fear the disapproval or or even death if we meet others. And we don't need to appease them with a procession of gifts before we go to them. No, we can freely face them and confess our wrongdoings and ask for forgiveness as we entrust ourselves to the Lord, no matter the outcome. Is that not grace? Have you entrusted yourself to the Lord? Do you have his acceptance that only comes through faith in Christ? There's no amount of good works that you can parade in front of God to appease him and make up for the wrongs that you have done. You will not pacify God's righteous wrath wrath against your sin with your own good works. It can't be done. But the good news of the gospel is that the God who loves us sent his son and shown his kindness and faithfulness to sinners by doing that, by sending his son to rescue us from death. Jesus came and lived a perfect life of obedience to the Father. He died on the cross in order to pay the penalty for our sin and give us His righteousness and make us acceptable, pleasing, holy in God's sight, the God who is holy. And Christ rose from the grave to show God's acceptance of His payment on our behalf and to release us from the fear of death by destroying its power along with the power of sin and Satan. This salvation is a gift It's a gift that comes with a blessing. It's a gift that God freely gives to all who turn from their sin and trust in Christ. Now, listen, there is a day coming when all will see God face to face. And the only way that your life will be spared is if you have entrusted it to the one who died in the place of sinners, who died in your place. Anyone who stands before the Lord with anything other than Christ himself will be condemned to an eternity of torment and fear and an unending death. So what will it be for you? Will you rely on yourself or will you rely on Jesus? Why not? Why not? Get the grace. Why not run to Christ, confess your sin, confess your need for him and be forgiven today? You see, we all want to be accepted. It's just built into us. We all want that acceptance, but true accept, acceptance is only found in Jesus Christ. So may we stop wrestling with God and with men and, and rest in the blessing that we've been given in Him, a blessing that we could never earn on our own, no matter how hard we try. We who fear death have found favor. In Christ, So let's freely pursue reconciliation with others as we trust in God's faithfulness and kindness to remain with us wherever we go. And may we all learn to walk with a limp so that we continue to grow less dependent upon ourselves and more dependent upon Christ until God fulfills his promise to bring us safely home. Amen. Father, we love you we thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, we are unworthy of it, and yet you lavish it on us in your son, Jesus Christ. You've poured out your spirit on us, changed our hearts, and have made us glad. Father, would you be worshiped and praised in all things. Thank you for the grace that we've seen here today and for the grace that goes with us always and forever. In Jesus' name, amen.